Hey guys, welcome back. Chris Bircher at Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Just a quick reminder to uh, um, subscribe to my on my website and you'll get updates every time I release an episode, which is uh, new episodes are coming out Fridays, a flashback memory episode is coming out on Monday, and then I submit a preview episode on Wednesday so you can see what's coming up. And I'm planning in the future to sort of use TikTok as a as a, uh, as a digest or a, a very brief uh, summary of every week's episode, and I'm not sure when I'll release those, but I'm still learning, trying to figure that out, and, you know, a little nervous to release my first one and sort of commit to it, but at some point I'll be using that too. Uh, other things coming up in the near future are a interview series on the subject of curiosity, because that's what I think this is all about. That's why I do it. Well, it's also very therapeutic for me to think through thoughts and uh, sort of develop my ideas in this format, because I always learn something, and I'm just hoping that you do too. Surely, there. well, I know there are some people out there that um, are having their curiosity stimulated by this, and I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the likes and for you paying attention. And um, if there's anything you can do for me, like I've always said, is uh, just share this with other people. I'm not a I'm not a, a fancy social media marketer. I don't know how to uh, sort of manipulate the system to get this in front of people. And I'm hoping that the word of mouth community will spread it around. So if you know somebody you think might like one of the episodes, please share it. If you see it on Facebook, share it with other people. I don't have a very big networking community. Um, and I'm putting my efforts into doing the material, like providing the content. Um, you know, I'm hoping the rest will take care of itself. And that could be completely, terribly, and uh, utterly incorrect. And we'll find out. But I'm just convinced that you don't, you know, you don't have to follow uh, the pack and sort of, you know, adhere to the, the script. And, um, you know, I'm, I may be proven wrong. We'll see. Today's episode... This is episode 33, and it's about soul. So welcome to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 33, soul. And that's S-O-U-L. And uh, the first thing I think, well, first of all, um, the first or second person that I'm going to release the interview with, (laughs) how's that for grammar? Uh, The first Curiosity episode, or maybe the second, I'm not sure yet, was with my buddy Paul Godola, and he... Just asked me a few days ago, because on one of the podcasts, I um, I think it was the um, quality episode where I mentioned something like, you know, I hope this uh, thinking about quality doesn't, you know, suck your soul or kill your soul or something, you know, something like that. And he said, what is a soul? What do you think a soul is? And I thought, this is awesome. This is the next episode. And so I've made a couple notes, but for the most part, I want to explore what exactly a soul is might be. And this is, again, my thoughts and uh, pulling from pulling from the depths to sort of hopefully figure this out. And of course, I'm not going to figure it out. There is no definitive um, correct answer to what a soul is. All we can you know, do is talk about it until we get closer and closer and closer. And that's sort of the system that I subscribe to, um, probably um, without really knowing that's what I do. Sort of like, sort of like science, you know, it's a standardized way of thinking. Like, let's talk about it. Let's have a discourse. Let's discuss it. Let's share ideas. And, uh, you know, that'll get us closer and closer to understanding what this thing is that we really probably don't quite have the capacity to fully understand. And that's fine. I think you have to realize that going into it. And, uh, I can't help but do it. You know, I gotta know. I got, well, 
I got to explore the concept. I don't have to know. I don't have to know at the end of the day what a soul is. I don't need to be able to write five words on a page that definitively describes what this concept or thing is. Uh, Just get closer to it and think about it. I think that's fun. I think it's important. So the first thing I think about when I think about soul, and um, this may be racist, you know, so be it, is is African-American music and dance. Uh, I was privileged to grow up in South Georgia, you know, where... um, you know that the population of of African Americans was uh, much higher than it is in a lot of other parts of the country, and, and to be influenced by that, um, and I've always been envious of the freedom that I see more so in the African American community than say the white community or or other communities of being uninhibited uh, in in music and dance in particular, uh, and thinking about dancing. You know, it's one of those things that I am so self-conscious that it's difficult for me to even begin to dance in public, like even at a wedding or at like a high school dance or even with my wife. It's hard uh, for me to not be aware of other people watching me or I don't know, being embarrassed or whatever it is. And when I watch other people dance that are uninhibited, and this isn't just African-Americans, I mean, it's just that's a... And I think that community somehow is closer to this as part of their culture. And, and again, that may be completely racist. This is completely an observation. I admire this. Um, so I don't feel like this is coming from a bad place. Um, but just to see that that lack of barriers, the free expression of emotion or song. And, uh, of course I think about sort of jazz music and particularly the music named after, you know, soul, like, why do we call it soul music? That's the first thing I sort of think of as being the, the sort of societal norm of what soul, what we think of. If you, if you, you know, interviewed or asked this question to a hundred people, I'm sure soul music would be a very common answer. If you ask someone, you know, what is soul? If you ask someone, what is the soul, that would probably bring up a more religious discussion. And I think we're going to go that direction. But anyway, suffice it to say, I I think about someone like James Brown, you know, the godfather of soul, right? Um, to watch that man dance and to listen to his music, I mean, it just, it triggers something inside me that isn't omnipresent. You know, it, it pulls at something deep and old and... Um, you know, evolutionarily historic. That's part of my DNA, but something that culturally I haven't, I haven't learned to express. And so that disjunct between my inability to sort of express that, uh, coupled with, you know, other people seemingly doing this with ease, you know, it it creates an interesting situation in my mind that I want to know more about that. And so, uh, Interestingly, I may have a little bit of history with this because one of the first things I really got into, and I have this very vivid memory, and my mom had like the stomach bug and it was terrible, but Michael Jackson's Thriller came out and you could rent the making of Thriller, which is sort of like a long form of the video, and then the behind the scenes and all the work and the dancing and the music and all that stuff. And uh, My mom had rented the VHS for me probably to, you know, occupy me while she was unable to help me. And I don't know when that was, but I was young 
and I just saw this and I said, this is, this is what I want out of life. <laughs> you know, I want to dance like that. And that's about when I started getting into break dancing. And, um, you know, at one point, I will, I, will, I will never claim to have been a very proficient break dancer, but there was a group of us that were all into it. And we, and we got, we learned things from videotapes and, uh, you know, we had cassettes of the music and there were actually, I remember having a poster, you know, with like moves on it, like demonstrating how to do the wave and how to do the centipede and all this stuff. And, you know, there were resources out there. And so we learned, we came, we became, you know, novice break dancers, but then, uh, and we would, <laughs> we would, they actually would, uh, give us time at like the junior high dances to come out and, um, you know, break dance for a couple of songs during the dance. And, uh, rather than be like Michael Jackson and be perceived as cool, I was ridiculed. And so I think my own personal relationship with dance and sort of physical expression and music and that sort of stuff in public is probably harmed in some way by the degree of ridicule that I got from, you know, my peers for wanting to be, for being interested in doing any of that stuff. You know, I was called derogatory names, you know, threatened to get beat up. And I mean, it was awful. And so I I quickly learned that I I better keep this to myself if I want to make it through the day down the halls between classes. So I've probably got this preoccupation for, you know, not, not, for fear of being ridiculed if I dance in public. So anyway, I have this thing for, for that element of soul, but that's, you know, that's not really what I'm talking about. But at the same time, let's, there's an element to that. It's a connectivity to freedom of expression, a direct relationship between a feeling and then expressing that, you know, verbally through singing, physically through dancing, and some combination through making music and playing an instrument um, that that is relevant, I think, to the discussion of an overall soul. So that's sort of where I wanted to begin. Now, that's a, that's a long 10-minute sort of intro to <laughs> where I want to begin, but um, there is some... We are connected to this thing. There is this thing. And it's sort of, I guess, that the second discussion would be, it's, um, is that the true self, right? Is the soul simply a, an expression of true self? And, that, and, that's, and then that's an interesting discussion. Is soul related to self in some way? And I think, you know, self has a whole lot of other connotations. It's been discussed by people much smarter than me. Uh, and there are lots of schools of thought about what the self is. But from my perspective, you know, I view a person as having a whole bunch of mini selves, um, but they're not really there's. And so with among that crowd of of characters or parts of our personality, um, you know, the 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 different masks or faces that you put on that can be intentional uh, or reactive, um, the different sort of people that you become in different situations in your life, you know, the angry person, the, the judgmental person, the victim uh, person, you know, we, you, you can envision yourself as wearing lots of different hats depending on the situation. And these are probably things that, you know, subsets of yourself that develop over time. And if that's, if you sort of accept that sort of explanation or you follow that path of, of argument, um, somewhere in there is what would be the, would be, would be more you, Right, they're all you, but there's um, 
and your your sort of outward expression of yourself as whoever whatever part or character happens to be sitting in the driver's seat uh, or the captain's chair or whatever but one of those is probably you know your oldest your most familiar your sort of um you know your let's just say true self now that the true self and the soul might be uh fairly related and i think conceptually to talk about this let's for for argument's sake, let's sort of treat it like that. Let's just sort of, you know, your true self is um, some manifestation of your personality that is closest to the closest physical expression of your soul. Now, let's take that the next step further. Um, True self implies this body, the state of being human, the limitations of our five senses, right? So how does the soul figure into that? I guess the first thing I'll say about it is the soul seems to transcend physical reality to me. Whereas ourself, you know, our parts, our physical body, our senses, all those things are earthly restrictions related to our sort of earthly presence. In a way. So what does that denote or, or connotate? That perhaps the soul is um, a temporary, like perhaps the soul is occupying this body on earth temporarily. And that brings up the idea of reincarnation. Is the soul, you know, dynamic and long lived through time? Is it restricted by us being born on planet earth and, and our soul is born at the same time, presumably, and then dies when we die, you know? Not to sort of skip to that subject, but I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't have any evidence. I just sort of, if I have to, if I don't know, I don't know the answer. But I would rather choose to think that that's potential than to say the soul is an artifact of our human self. Um, to me, it just makes more sense that maybe the soul transcends the limitations and restrictions of our physical body on planet earth. And why do I think that? So if you think about the origin of the soul as compared to the origin of life on earth and physics and the sort of sciences as we understand them and our interpretation of the universe with the tools that we have, sight, smell, hearing, our our senses and the scientific uh, disciplines that we've created and developed to explain these things, the soul just doesn't fit. It's, it's sort of like trying to explain religion or God with a, a very restricted, restricted and limited set of tools. These tools are really good for doing certain things, but they just don't work when it, when we get into this particular topic and exploring this area. So, and why do I think that? Well, if we were to describe the soul in terms of what we know, these things that we've learned through reason, observation, science, it just doesn't hold up. So, I mean, how would you even begin to explain that? And just as a thought experiment, this is one thing uh, for this episode that I actually thought about a little bit beforehand um, because it's an obvious pathway you have to take. We can't explain the soul with things like atoms, you know, it isn't physical. It isn't composed of particles. 
you know, the closest thing that we understand with our earthly senses uh, that we could use to talk about this would be energy. And so what is energy? You know, that's even a weird, I don't, I don't know enough about it to sort of discuss, but we can, we all have some idea of what, what energy is. It's, you know, it's an emergent property of these particles moving around and electromagnetic attraction. And, you know, there, we can, we could describe what this is. Um, the, the release of heat when particles separate and bonds are broken um, and, and things like that, that, that all creates energy. But I, I can't in a million years come up with a way to say how the soul would emerge from that. How do, how does, how do, let's just take a brief trip through big bang, a couple of different elements exist. Those elements experience extremes and pressure and heat and they, you know, the electrons and the particles that make up those elements break apart and reform. And now we've got the periodic table of the elements and we have a whole bunch of different things and those things different combine and make bigger and bigger things and make molecules and compounds. And eventually those compounds get together uh, and um, there are energetic uh, impulses of electricity that create a cell that has a flagella that wags and can move that cell through water. Um, that cell had develops, you know, through random chance and, and cell division deviations to its uh, cellular surface that allow it to consume other particles and bring energy in and get bigger. And then, you know, life on earth evolves um, as very small things that eventually become multicellular. And then eventually those tissue, those, those uh, tissues are formed and those tissues can uh, specialized for different purposes and muscles are created and, and uh, supportive tissues created and digestive organs are created and all the cells get fed in different ways da, da, on and on and on and on until the development of some sort of nervous system which now captures a different kind of energy electricity maybe that stimulates movement and and, and um, you know those electrical impulses learn over evolutionary time to interpret this, this, this energy in different ways, you know, maybe, um, um, a hearing organ is developed because it can interpret sound waves with some sort of meaning. And all this goes through some central processing center that eventually becomes a brain, which is sort of the ultimate control center from from just having a simple nerve network where an organism is able, able to interpret different messages from its environment to an actual central processing unit that can take those nervous impulses and interpret them before sending some command back out to the body uh, to to do something, to flex a muscle, to open a mouth, to uh, release an enzyme, whatever it is. Well, that brain... I think for me is the most difficult to understand evolutionary um, artifact. And before we had sort of philosophers talking about the mind, and then we had psychologists talking about the mind. And now, only recently, we have neuroscientists actually studying the brain and how it works and getting at the details of some of these things I'm just sort of randomly suggesting based on what makes sense. Um, so this is a very recent thing. We don't really understand. And uh, just to sort of throw this out there, um, I find it difficult to fill in the blanks between a complex emotional brain-driven organism with the, with the difference in the complexity in, say, a human 
and going back through sort of the primates to let's pick maybe like a deer or something like that, you know, which brings out the, do deer have emotions? Do, do deer have love? Do, 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 do deer have, you know, that's, that's open for debate. And, um, I'm just going to suggest that there's a pretty huge differentiation in all of those things between something like a deer or a tiger and a chimpanzee or a, a human being. What is that? Right. What is what is what is that level of complexity? Is that simply an artifact of increasing complexity of nervous tissue and a brain to interpret environmental signals? Or is there something else going on? I think that's the very basic question that begins the discussion of a soul. Um, Because I find it very difficult to um, to explain or you know, uh, discuss that, that, that difference in complexity. And and there's a a bunch of different theories, you know, maybe there's a whole bunch of missing links in the middle that we don't know anything about. And and maybe the evolution of a brain of the human brain, you know, we just can't fathom the amount of time that that took and the complexity. But I just don't think if you think about something like depression and, electrical impulses and our senses. Um, I, I, I find it really difficult to explain concepts like emotion, emotions with physics and biology. Okay. So there's that all I'm saying from that is that there seems to be some other element. Many people have attempted to explain this in lots of different ways and religion fills this sort of void and uh, psychology fills this sort of void and even philosophy gets at some of these things. Um, and certainly this has been on our minds as humans for probably 5,000 years and then we've gotten a little bit closer, but there's still no, there's still no novel concept or linkage between the complexity of human emotions and the f- f- seemingly limited simplicity, almost, of how nerves work. You know, what what are there? Ju- is it just an emergent property of all of those nervous impulses that leads to my ability to communicate at this sort of level and to sort of grind on the gray matter? Uh, to, to come up with some explanation for what this is, I, I, it just seems impossible to me. And so the soul somehow encapsulates that part, this sort of, you know, I'm not saying the soul has knowledge or memory, but perhaps it does. Perhaps this element of our humanness brings with it some ability a capacity that we just simply don't know yet or or can't know and perhaps that comes from history perhaps that comes from another source perhaps that like the big bang maybe there was some sort of um awareness explosion and and there's sort of there's that that awareness i think is a good word to to sort of begin to encapsulate this difference between a deer's emotional complexity and a human being's emotional complexity. We are just so damn aware. We are, our brains, and and, and, and let's, you know, play with the theory that all of this is 
created by and managed by our brain. And without our brain, there is no awareness. You know, our brains are pretty sophisticated. Lots of lots of cells. A lot, 200,000 years of evolutionary time. But we, th- I think about this, and I think most people think about this in a much more biological, anthropological way. You know, our brains evolved, or uh, 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 evolutionary bi- biological way, our, brain ev- our brains evolved to deal with environmental stimuli to help keep us alive. Uh, but then, then there's that. Um, even going back to sort of my basic con- uh, tenet of being alive, it, one of those things is to be immortal, given the fact that our bodies will eventually no longer exist. And so DNA is our vehicle through which we can create a history, a literal memory history, molecular history, longer than human lifespan. Now, sure, we can record things on paper and video now and all these other things that we can record history so that the next person can come along and go, oh, here's what they were doing 100 years ago. But I'm talking about sort of molecular memory and history. And the best concept I have found to date that describes this is water molecules. You know, water, a water molecule, if it doesn't break into its individual, individual constituents, is maintained through time. And theoretically, water molecules have been around as long as water molecules have been around. From the time the first two uh, hydrogens bonded to an oxygen and water was created, however that happened, it's been here <laughs> millions of years, literally. And so there's that, there's that co- fairly common belief that a water molecule has probably passed through the glaciers and the streams and the brain and the air and your body and a dinosaur's body and Genghis Khan's body. You know, uh, a water molecule in a cup that you're drinking could have been in Genghis Khan's urine, right? I mean, these things, given the fact that some are change form, molecularly speaking, but they've been around for a long time. And if you don't believe in the water molecule thing, how about the hydrogen atom? The hydro- One of the hydrogen atoms that's part of that water molecule has been around for millions of years. Is it that difficult to imagine some sort of imprinting and memory, not in the way that we have memories, obviously, some historical record of where that molecule has been? If... if we could make the leap to say that that hydrogen molecule has some sort of awareness, then it's not that hard of a leap to say, well, yeah, sure, it some to some degree it remembers where it's been. And that's, and that's two big, pretty big leaps. One, that the hydrogen molecule would have to have awareness. And, and, if, you, and if you think at all, if you're limited at all by the concept of awareness as we think about it today, that seems stupid. But let's just for a minute entertain that. Maybe awareness is something completely different that we don't understand that isn't unique to humans. And it goes all the way back to the molecular level. I, I don't find that a huge leap. I don't understand it. I couldn't even begin to begin to explain it, but it's a really fun thing to entertain. It's a fun idea to entertain. And if that's true, then um, if it has, does it have some ability to know about, you know, about that history? Does it have a memory? So awareness and memory are two things I think that go into any discussion of a soul. And perhaps it's all just operating on a level that we simply don't have the hardware to, to comprehend. I don't, I don't have a trouble with that. In fact, I would love to take that, you know, uh, um, outline some sort of premises, you know, that 
um, there might be some form of molecular awareness and memory. And if that's true, and, and, and why would it not be true? If you, let's think about DNA. Why did DNA evolve? In my best uh, suggestion has been to perpetuate life. It is a, and, and, and if you, if you dive deep enough and let's consider a strand of DNA or a sequence of uh, DNA information as being an individual, then that individual was designed to perpetuate itself. And so there's some element of perpetuating yourself. Now it's not, it's difficult to imagine that uh, when a hydrogen molecule was formed, that it has any inherent desire to perpetuate itself. But perhaps that's because that hydrogen atom becoming matter, which is no longer destroyed, but at some point was created or formed, um, and no new matter is being created or destroyed. It's just changing forms. Well, it, it's sort of infinite, right, from the start. So it doesn't have any need or desire to perpetuate itself because it is perpetual. <laughs> but a DNA sequence or any compound or any formation of molecules that can be unarranged and rearranged with at will, perhaps there is this, this new emergent property of life that says, I don't want to break up. <laughs> I, I want to resist this. You know, why not? I mean, it's the yin and the yang. You know, if um, yin and yang, if if particles are formed to last forever, um, but compounds can't last forever, this, this creates a problem, right? This is no longer part of the script. This is no longer... Uh, and so what's missing from a compound is its perpetuity, its longevity, its life, right? So we could think back all the way to the molecular level when... There were no hands and there were no eyes and there were no awareness as we think about it today. But perhaps inherent to the whole design or randomness of this thing, there is the desire to persist. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And it's just as uh, easy to argue that none of that is true and that it's all just random and it just... Bleh. But... If the formation of particles, let's say the Big Bang, because I don't have any other explanation, made all this stuff, and that's just random, well, how did we get here? Is it really all just random? I mean, that's the null hypothesis, and that's fine. Uh, but I think it's way more fun to consider alternate hypotheses, <laughs> hypotheses that that's just more fun. It's just more, it stimulates my curiosity ad infinitum, right? I mean, because you literally talk about this stuff until you need to take a break. Because again, like I said, I want to avoid the circular talking where you do run around in the circle and you come back to the beginning and you're going, I, I still don't know. We don't, the, the goal is not to know. The goal is simply to chase these, um, dreams, uh, uh to where they lead us, uh, which is kind of the, <laughs> the nature of my podcast. Uh, but, but so, if particles do have some inherent desire to perpetuate themselves, 
that exists at some level, the atomic level, let's say, atoms aren't, you know, don't worry about this because they know they're going to be around. They know, they understand their role. And it's really difficult to, to talk about this as it, as, is, as it is with anything, and perhaps this is an excellent illustration, without using human terms, without being restricted by our vocabulary, uh, which is related to, you know, our inherent capacity to understand the world. But for just a minute, if we release that stuff, it, it becomes much more plausible that other forms of existence could very well be part of the reality that we see. And to me, the line of thinking from DNA evolved as a script for the future to perpetuate itself, to link some non-randomness in to the future, that that that, that would happen makes perfect sense to me, especially when you look at life. And, and all of this is in the context of life on Earth and us. Life and natural selection and mitosis and and, and sexual reproduction is all uh, an, an, a, a an emergent property at another level of organization that basically perpetuates DNA as a molecule and the history encoded in it for some time, at least gives us a chance to reduce some of the randomness and create a world. Because if you forgot everything that happened the next second, then what does any of it matter? Obviously, there is memory. There is the need to link things through time. Uh, or at least, that yeah, that exists. And, backing up to evolutionary theory, it exists because it was selected for. That it actually benefits at least us. And so, if we can make one jump from the animal level a level of organization reproducing to perpetuate ourselves and and carry a message forward into the future to reduce the randomness of the universe from the human level down and go okay that's what dna does too and then below that perhaps there was the absence of need because there there was automatically memory because nothing was born or destroyed or you know simply that memory and awareness of time is an emergent property um, but it's still, all those things are a result of, of natural selection. If they weren't, then everything would just be completely random and there would be no matter. Now, the flip side of all this, I guess, is that all of this is just an, um, an unfortunate artifact of our brains developing randomly. And, you know, that's not hard to believe either. But this is not as fun. It could just be that sophistication and things like natural selection and mitosis and sexual reproduction have led to a complex and sophisticated set of nerve cells that just happens to do stupid shit like, you know, try to protect us from dying or, you know, finding mates and eating food and reproducing and passing on our genes. And that's, that's all some meaningless random thing. But if you're trying, you know, why... Is it a <laughs> negative or a positive to try to assign meaning to things? You know, that's debatable. I've sort of skipped ahead to the fact that all of us listening to this care about assigning meaning to things. And so what does it mean to have a soul? You know, to me, it's so 
backing all that up at some level that isn't cellular, that isn't atomic, that doesn't subscribe to either the rules of randomness or the rules of um, cellular history and uh, uh, per- perpetuating of molecules and, and, and whether they be it DNA or an actual species, um, the soul sort of transcends all of that. It, is, it doesn't appear to be restricted by physical matter or the laws of physics or any of those things. And so there's two schools of thoughts there that it is an emergent property of all of these things. It is some weird artifact of just the complexity of our brains and that, you know, a frog doesn't have a soul and a deer doesn't have a soul. Um, and that it's purely a result of the human mind or at some level of evolution, the complexity of the mind, you know, led those individuals to ponder what is, what, who they were and why they were here and all those other things. So, but it, but it could be that it's something else, that it's God, that it's, um, time, you know, that it's dark matter, (laughs) that it's some alien being that occupies our brains for some period of time. Awareness. What is it? Is, is awareness an element of the soul or is awareness an artifact of our human body? Why would a soul need to be aware of itself? Does a soul want to perpetuate itself? Does a soul need to be aware of itself? Does it need to perpetuate itself? Or is it like the atom? Was it neither created nor destroyed? Is, is, are our souls linked? Is it a single awareness that is a soul? I mean, all of those things are fascinating questions. But the impetus of this thought is that what's up with my soul? And so there is some individuality to this. There's some connection of the soul to my body, to your body, to other people's bodies, to whatever degree your awareness or curiosity or interest leads you to to ponder questions about the soul. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's individualistic. It could just be the way that we understand that. I can't use your brain to help understand the soul as I see it. All I have is me. So it's not hard to think that the soul could be a universal. You know, it could be God. could be... And, and, and certainly religion evolved and philosophy evolved to fill this void, right? To fill whatever void comes up it comes into existence after the first person or thing, I, I don't know, the first human said, what? What is the voice in my head? <laughs> how, how can I talk to myself? What, what's going on? And so that impetus or that trigger led to philosophy, psychology. Um, all, all of these things, you know, are free time to think um, and is all of that just simply biological? Long story short, I mean, I think it's obvious by now. I don't think so. Um, and I, I think my capacity or our capacity, probably there are people out there who have a greater capacity for this, certainly, than I do, to sort of say, well, what's the, what's the purpose? What's the reason? What's the evolutionary pressure for maintaining 
this soul or does it simply not subscribe to our physical world? Is this, is this an alien thing? Is this a marriage of, uh, of, uh, physics and metaphysics is, um, what is awareness and is the soul linked to whatever that is or the, or those two completely different realms that just happen to overlap. But, uh, going back a bit to soul music and the freedom of expression, I think that gets at the connectivity of these things. So there could be, I I would say there obviously is some connection between our human form, our human brain, our true self and all the other selves that coexist in our individual person. And the soul is this, unexplainable portion of our individuality. That's probably about right. Now it could be linked to some greater uh, awareness, but it's, it's our, the, the component of the unexplainable world, the, the unknowable, the component of the unknowable that exists through our perception as if it were a part of our individual self. What's left over. So if you could say, I am my cells, I am the atoms, I am the organs, I am the tissues, I am the electrical impulses, I am the relationship between my sensory apparatuses, like my nose and my eyes and my hands and my ears, and my environment. I am all of those things that I can understand through an evolutionary and biological lens and, and physics and science and all the things that we've understood. And then beyond that, there's some emergent property of which my mind is aware or of which that which my mind is creating. That is something else. There's something beyond those realms that I simply don't have the tools to even really talk about, but I can't help but be aware of it. I know it's something. And through the practice of working through the characters in my brain and their history and how I develop them and the purposes that they serve and their relationships, I can get closer and closer to who am I? What is my true self? And in that, there exists an unexplainable feeling, sensation, um, stimulus, energy that represents this concept of soul. That soul could be a part of a bigger soul, which is really fun to think about, or it could be unique to me. I don't know why it would be unique to us. Uh, when you think about molecules and all of life and the interconnectedness, like like my connectedness episode, we're passing molecular energetic information amongst ourselves trading with the mountains, trading with the water, trading with the sky, using the light's energy. All of these things are a system of exchanges of material. So why would the soul not subscribe to the same rules? I mean, certainly there's plenty of explanations that one could attempt to say that the soul is some alien thing that just sort of coexists in this other system. But it, it, it's easier and it makes more sense to me to think that it's all part of one bigger thing that, you know, maybe even you could go to the big bang, you know, when big bang happened, some 
awareness energy also permeated the universe along with all of the other things. And uh, that still exists in the world, in the universe, and it manifests itself in each one of us individually to the degree to which our systems, nervous, whatever, can receive it. I mean, it's really just like a Wi-Fi router, right? We don't know where it is. We don't understand how it works. It's probably something in our brain that receives this soul energy from the universe and interprets it the way we see fit. And my original struggle with not being able to dance in public is, is just a disjunct between, you know, not being able to fully comprehend, embrace that soul energy and incorporate it into my human body and then express it to the world. I mean, that's really not a character flaw. That's just an inability to do so. What I find amazing is that some people seem to be way closer to that. You know, some people just seem to have it flow right through them. And I think that's why music and dancing and poetry and art and and all these things, and, and even thinking to a certain degree, fill us all with such joy. Because it's the the ultimate manifestation of our physical beings with all of the limitations of matter and this other thing that I'm just calling the soul. When those things interact seamlessly and express themselves to the world, we're able to see it, right? Now I can hear and feel, well, I can hear and see and I guess feel the beat of people dancing to music. And now I'm, I'm also getting a glimpse of the soul. I'm seeing into this world where there are no barriers. There's the ultimate marriage of these two parts, the matter and the, the soul, the whatever this is, the, the magic. I mean, because we don't have any other words to describe this thing, right? I mean, that's, that's what it is. That's a, a revelation to me of why these things, why beauty is so appealing because it's, it transcends the limitations of the known in our capacity to understand that beyond into the unknown, into the realm of soul, magic, God, enlightenment. Why would that not be true? I, I, I guess the argument basically is, to go back to the beginning and try to close this up a little bit. We know the fact that we're asking questions about these things suggests that something else exists. You know, if I have a bodily sensation when observing someone dance to a song and find that beautiful and I'm affected by it, how can I not wonder what that's all about and, and understand that this is not simply eating a hot dog that tastes good or, um, you know, riding a roller coaster that stimulates my nervous system in some different way. This is, this transcends the typical day to day human existence made capable by our nervous system and our brain, but also incorporating something else that allows us to see it. Cause a person could, it happens every day. You can see beautiful things and not understand 
or not be affected by it. Well, you're only seeing that with your the limitations of your being human. So if I, I, I just think that we all understand and have had an experience when we move beyond those limitations into the world of the soul, because I have no other word. And we're affected by that. We think it's beautiful. So, it, so therefore it exists. In the sim- most simple Cartesian fact, we felt it, therefore it exists. Um, I'm going to say that if you have a sensation like that, then it has meaning. And that meaning is simply that you've taken a peek at that part of the world. And I think that when we see individual humans... Um, again, transcend the limitations of, of our physical world and dance beautifully or create art or, or whatever those things are that make us feel that way. What we're witnessing is someone has, who has consciously or, or not been able to merge into that world and take a peek at what that is. And isn't that where we want to be. I mean, I think about my experimentation with psychedelic drugs and then my exploration in meditation and psychological tools like EMDR and some of the somatic work that I've been doing more recently. That's the high that I've always been chasing. Even my relationship with nicotine and alcohol and cannabis. I've always approached that as a vehicle to get me into a different state of awareness. And I think that state of awareness is actually more easily visible when you're sober. (laughs) It's just, you have to be open to it. You have to allow yourself. Maybe I don't have the ability to fully express my spirit of spirit. There's a whole nother word, you know, soul publicly on the dance floor, but I have the capacity to know what it is when I see somebody else do it and to be affected by it in a similar way. Now the jealousy and the longing and the wishing to do that myself is, a, is you know, my core, my, my body. But for a moment I'm part of it. And, and, and we've all done this. This isn't unique to me. And so the soul describes more of a, of a, of a realm of, reality that we just don't have the equipment to fully understand. We don't have, we haven't developed the skill set to talk about it in a unified way or to study it in the way we study science, but there's evidence. That's my point. There's evidence in the world that when you listen to a James Brown song, you're just like, damn. Or if you watch someone figure skate, uh, and you're just like, wow. And the, and the, you listen to a song and the melody. I mean, these are, these are very, these are as real as, you know, um, stubbing your toe and, and having pain or putting your hand on the stove or uh, feeling the sun when you walk outside just because we don't perceive it with our five normal senses doesn't mean it isn't real. Because every bit is real with all those other things. The soul, the spirit, awareness, it's very real. 
just because we can't explain it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I would see the hardcore scientists and academics explain this away as nonsense, and I could see the, the sort of um, the religious community explaining this all away by saying, well, that's just God. And, and maybe that's as good an explanation as any. But it's more than that. We don't talk about it in the way that I have been talking about it. And I would love to continue this discussion, to hear from you, to sort of you know, compile the evidences to, to, to better understand the different schools of thought, like the religious community, like the philosophical community and, 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 you know, put together the set of thought that has discussed the same issue. But I'm not even sure we have a, 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 a unified language to even begin to stand, to, to summarize what is known or what is believed about the subject of the soul, the spirit, and awareness. Um, but it, I, I think there's there's some value to what I, uh, I'm, I'm putting out there. If for no other reason to um, give you a, a place to jump off of for your own thinking. Um, but man, if we could, I guess the, the dream is if we could better connect with whatever this is. What would that mean for humanity? What would that mean for us as individuals? If our if we woke up in the morning in awareness of the magic rather than beating ourselves up with the list of things that we have to accomplish that day or, or whatever. If when we lie awake at night, unable to sleep, we didn't think of all the bad things about ourselves that, you know, we're upset about. And we could take a minute to try and connect with whatever this is. I don't know. That seems like a better life to me. It seems cool. (laughs) I mean, in the same way that I thought taking, you know, psychedelic drugs in my youth would be cool. Um, Anyway. That was super fun. This has been episode 33, Soul. Hopefully you'll get a chance to connect with yours. I'll see you next week. This is Chris Bircher. Knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Thank you.